Hello and welcome to another episode of Travelosophy. As promised from my previous episode, today I'm going to be talking about some life-changing experiences in Hong Kong, China, and of course the common thread between both of those is Disneyland. I've also managed to track down some special guests, including Emily, a first-time visitor to Disneyland, Chevy, a long-time Disney fan who has been many times, and Faith, one of my ex-students who just so happened to work at Disney World in Florida. My most recent trip to China was in 2016 to attend the grand opening of Shanghai Disneyland. It was my sixth visit, and this time I ventured further inland, exploring places that had always seemed out of reach, but that I'd read about in National Geographic, like the Chengdu Panda Research Base, the Three Gorges Dam, and the Terracotta Warriors of Xi'an. Over the last 30 years, there's been tremendous changes that have taken place in China unprecedented and unfathomable in Australia. I mean, we can't even buy new trains that fit our tracks or have a singular-sized gauge railway across the country or the same road rules across all states, let alone construct the largest engineering project the world has ever seen that was over a 100 years in the making. I've written a blog post on my website about how to travel around China independently, which goes into a bit about the history and what's different about travelling in China compared to other countries. For example, Google and Facebook are blocked. And even though I knew that before going, I didn't think about the implications until I went to book a flight and realised, oh, how do I book a flight if I can't Google it? And then how do I access my e-ticket if I can't access Gmail? And how do I pay for it if they don't accept foreign credit cards? Obviously, I found solutions to every problem, which I go into detail in my blog post. But knowing these ahead of time can help to make your trip easier and less stressful. The fascinating thing about China is essentially how it's gone from a communist country where the government controls resources and distribution to operating in more of a free market economy where people can own businesses, earn profit and buy stuff, just like they've seen in movies and TV shows. On my first visit to China in 1989, it was commonplace to see people wearing dark blue cotton shirts and pants with a little blue hat because under communist China, everyone was equal and so provided the same things. I do remember being able to buy souvenirs from the Great Wall and postcards, although no one received the postcards we sent from China. Either they contained information the government didn't want shared, or perhaps we accidentally put them in the bin rather than a post box. Also in 89, to buy supermarket goods, you had to go to the Friendship Store. It wasn't a convenience stores or supermarkets, just the Friendship Store. Fast forward to now, and shopping seems to be the number one pastime. Every city you go to has a main pedestrian shopping mall filled with local and international brands. But the funny thing is, the shops are repeated, so like every 10 stalls, you'll have a Li Ning, which is a Chinese sports brand, or Miniso, which is a shop that sells beauty products and fashionable homewares. Even though it appears to be an open market, the Chinese government still decides which brands can open up in China. Even then, there are usually restrictions. But to give you an idea of what it's like, imagine walking through a Westfields and only having 20 different shops repeated over and over. And that's what it's like shopping in China. Of course, you do also get big names like Louis Vuitton and Prada. In the last 20 to 30 years, there's been a massive shift from rural farming to people moving to cities and working in offices and retail jobs, which has also seen a huge increase in wealth, a rising middle class, and an increase in demand for products that are taken for granted in Western countries, like cars, cell phones, and fashion. 
Part of this wealth has stemmed from trade, and it's no coincidence that China has become a global powerhouse with trade. It's part of a bigger, longer plan called the Belt and Road Initiative, which basically is China's plan to be at the centre of global trade by owning shipping, road and rail infrastructure routes around the world. Depending on where you live, you may have seen an increase in Chinese tourists. Previously, if a Chinese person wanted to travel, they essentially needed a passport and visa to travel within China. And international travel, if it was allowed at all, was highly restricted to pre-organised packages and itineraries. So you can imagine how exciting it is for Chinese people to be able to travel independently overseas now, something that most Western countries have taken for granted. Since restrictions have eased and there is more disposable income and they're allowed to travel internationally, Chinese are making the most of it. It's a cultural status. They love to show photos of themselves in iconic locations. And this is only going to grow as more airlines increase capacity to and from China. And the cost of air travel becomes even more affordable for them. However, the added bonus for everyone else is it's incredibly cheap to fly to China. In off-peak periods, you can easily get return flights from Australia to Guangzhou, in southern China for under $500, and I've seen flights to Beijing as cheap as $300 return, including taxes. A lot of these flights have their hub in regional cities like Kunming, Changdu, Guangzhou, and Hainan, making it easier to explore beyond Shanghai and Beijing. I managed to get tickets to Hong Kong for $500, and then I took the train from Hong Kong to Guangzhou, which is two hours away. It was $40 in one way in first class or $20 in economy. It was easy enough to reserve a seat online and collect my ticket at Hong Hum Railway Station in Hong Kong. Guangzhou is a perfect introduction to China because it's easily accessible. It's authentically Chinese with red lanterns in the street. It has beautiful Chinese architecture filling the laneways and garden-filled pagodas. It's the home of yum cha, which is a selection of small dishes like dumplings and buns and has incredible street food. There's been a huge surge in metros being built in cities throughout China, and Guangzhou is one of those. It's easy to use and navigate. One of the attractions in Guangzhou is the Canton Tower, which is amongst the tallest buildings in China, and is a beautiful piece of architecture. As the building curves upward, like a spiral, it includes a unique capsule ride around the summit, something similar to the London Eye, except it's on rails, along with one of those tower fall rides and an outdoor observation deck. Before going up, I was going to take the cheaper option, which goes to a viewing platform on level 67 and costs about 100 yuan, which is about 20 Australian dollars, which was about a fifth the price of going to the top level. The tower also boasts multiple records, including the highest observation deck in China and the highest Ferris wheel in the world. When you're traveling on a budget, it's easy to get stuck in the mindset of must not spend money and opt for the cheaper version when dining out, traveling on planes and trains, and staying in accommodation. However, don't scrimp on the attractions. Otherwise, what's the point of traveling? I debated, and in the end went, you know what? Who knows when or if I'll come back to Guangzhou. So I bought the top package, and I was so glad I did. It's one thing to stand on an observation deck and look out. It's a totally different experience being in a clear plastic capsule that overhangs the top of the building. So you look straight down and feel like you're floating in midair. With China's growth, there's been a huge number of unique architectural wonders, and often they are best viewed from above. It was also nice to escape the hustle and bustle of downtown Guangzhou. It was peaceful, standing above it all in a cool breeze and just observing the world from above. So it may not be a huge life-changing lesson, but when you're travelling, don't scrimp on the attractions, because in years to come, it's the experiences you'll remember, not the cost.
Another highlight on this trip to China was the Chengdu Panda Research Base. Basically, it's a breeding zoo, housing only pandas. And what's unique is at any given time, they have various aged pandas, so you can see giant adults, rebellious teen pandas, and ridiculously adorable baby pandas. In years past, China would gift pandas to countries as a sign of goodwill to display in their zoos. However, it reached a point that pandas became endangered, primarily due to poaching from the illegal wildlife trade. So China said, hang on, why are we giving these pandas away for free when we could be renting them and earn money? So they did. And at a million dollars per breeding pair, zoos around the world were quick to snap up the opportunity to display such a unique creature. All that money raised then went into building and funding the research base, with the aim to eventually release pandas back into the wild. It's been over 20 years since it was first established, and not only have they eradicated diseases that affected panda populations, they've also raised enough pandas to take them off the critically endangered list. The difficulty in breeding pandas is they're only fertile for a few hours on one day in a year, and even if they do fall pregnant, it can be difficult to tell because pandas are so naturally chubby and baby pandas are so tiny, only a few centimetres, it's not always obvious that they are pregnant until right before birth. And before you say, well, surely there's blood tests that they can do to check if they're pregnant or not. Pandas are one of the few animals that have the ability to be able to fake estrogen levels so that they can appear pregnant even if they're not. It was originally thought they did this to get extra food, but that's not necessarily the case. Part of the success of the breeding program is pandas commonly bear twins. However, in the wild, the mother would choose one and ignore the other. However, in the Chengdu Panda Research Base, they've managed to use a swapping system. By distracting the mother with food, they're able to quickly swap out one baby with another so that both babies receive equal amounts of milk and hence grow to full size. So by using a combination of artificial insemination and swapping, they've been steadily growing the panda population. And last year, the first pandas from the program were released back into the wild. It gets quite hot during the day in June, and pandas spend a lot of time sleeping or otherwise huddled up in their air-conditioned hangouts. So it was recommended to get to the base early, as soon as it opened. However, getting a taxi proved difficult in peak hour, and the bus, whilst it went nearby, was incredibly slow and took over an hour, which meant I only had a short time with the babies before they fell asleep, which was still cute, but doesn't necessarily make for interesting photos. So the next day I decided, you know what, what the heck, I'm going back. This time ensuring I was super early. I even got there like 20 minutes before the gates opened. And I headed straight up the top of the mountain to where the babies were. Entry to the Panda Research Centre is only about 60 yuan, so it's not a huge outlay. Within the park, you can easily walk between all the enclosures. Otherwise, there's a shuttle that allows you to hop on and hop off between them. So the second day I jumped straight on this, it was only 10 yuan, so it's a couple of dollars, and it took me straight to the baby pandas. I think the gates opened at 7.30am and I was at the baby pandas by 7.38am, so it was totally worthwhile. And they were outside and they were climbing trees and rolling down the hill and wrestling and eating bamboo and just generally being adorable. And I got some amazing photos. But the best bit was, there was only a handful of people around, so there was less jostling for prime position. So whilst I'm slightly more obsessive being a photographer, do not feel guilty about revisiting an attraction if you didn't get to see it all the first time or if you didn't get that photo you were hoping to capture, which is why it's also important to allow time in any itinerary just in case something doesn't go right or you want to revisit something. I must have hung out with the baby pandas for about two hours and I was ecstatic with the photos I had. 
The rest of the afternoon was raining, so I was quite happy to spend a few hours just chilling out, reading my book, watching movies on pay TV, and generally relaxing. I should also point out that cold and rainy days are panned as ideal conditions, so that's when they're more, most likely to be outside. But they also get a second wind around about 4 or 5 o'clock, and this late in the day, you will often find you're the only one around the pandas. Everyone else has gone home. It's also really easy to get caught up in the mindset of, I'm overseas, I'm in China, I must be out sightseeing all the time. But it's also a holiday, so it's important to ensure you take time out to relax, just so you don't burn out. Because going back out, sightseeing, refreshed and relaxed, is when you notice more, you appreciate more, and you're also better able to deal with any complications or irritations that may arise when travelling. Two hours by bus from Shanghai lies the historic town of Wujian, which includes old wooden buildings built along canals. It's basically the Chinese version of Venice. There are other water towns, but this one is really geared up for tourism. And so it has shops selling art, paper umbrellas, dumplings, and fabric, which is a specialty of the area. It's also perfect for Instagram shots. There's lots of opportunities for reflection photos, leading lines, colours standing out against dark wood grains, and beautifully designed stone bridges. But the other thing it's interesting for is it's the home to the Foot Binding Museum, which, if you don't know, Chinese fashion used to stipulate that in order for women to be considered beautiful, they had to make their feet as small as possible, and they would be tightly bound from a young age to ensure their feet didn't grow. As you can imagine, it was incredibly painful for them, and often meant they couldn't walk, which is why it's since been outlawed. But it's still fascinating to see, and they have examples of different shoes, and they're honestly like less than 10 centimetres long. What's particularly interesting is women would make their own shoes and so different designs had different meanings. So for example, if a girl had flowers or butterflies on her shoes, it meant she was unmarried and looking for love. But a goldfish on a shoe was reserved exclusively for the rich. Meanwhile, red was for weddings and white was for funerals. The museum includes English translations, so it's totally worth checking out. You pay an entrance fee to visit the old water town, which is 150 yuan, and the museum is included in the fee. There's a couple of other random museums, like the Bed Museum, but the Foot Binding Museum is iconically Chinese and is a fascinating piece of history. It was pretty easy to get to Wu Jen. The bus went from South Shanghai bus terminal and cost about 55 yuan. And once you arrive, there is a local shuttle bus to take you to the old town. The shuttle bus is number K230. But it was pretty obvious because most people getting off the bus from Shanghai were heading to the old town of Wu Jen. So I just followed them. The last thing that few tourists go out of their way to see is the Three Gorges Dam. Now, most people will be like, oh, dam, so what? Get to Disneyland already. But the Three Gorges Dam is the biggest hydroelectric dam in the world. And the idea for it first came about in 1919, almost 100 years earlier. It involved building brand new cities in the middle of nowhere to rehouse and repopulate entire towns and villages. It's both a flooding control and hydroelectric dam and has a, a side section similar to the Panama Canal to allow cargo ships to pass through. Standing on the edge, you can't see the other side of the dam because it's so far away. It's unbelievable. And why is a dam so important to see? Well, because it shows what China is capable of. You might have heard about them claiming sandbars and turning them into islands and their military bases in the South China Sea. If not, Google it. Just as they have constructed one of the largest networks of high-speed rail in any country, including a magnetic levitation train that goes over 400 kilometres per hour. But 
Unlike the USA, UK and Australia, whose governments do things in four-year blocks, and most of what they do is simply about ensuring they get voted in again, China plans centuries ahead. And I think we can actually learn a lot from them. And the fact that as a nation they've been around for centuries is testament to this. Having built the Great Wall, the Forbidden City, the Terracotta Army, and recently the longest sea bridge in the world, connecting Hong Kong, Macau and mainland China, are all monumental structures built ahead of their time. China does big things like few other countries could fathom, and it's this ability to think big, long, and with a dedication to ensure the future development of its country that the rest of the world could learn a lot from China. Instead of fearing their expansion or fighting them with tariffs, we should be listening, watching, and learning because long-term country plans can benefit many. To get to the Three Gorges Dam, first you must get to the town of Yichang, which is a city somewhere sort of in the south middle. But if you Google Three Gorges Dam, you'll find that. And Yichang is not too far from there. To get to the actual dam, you'll need to organise a taxi with your hotel or a private driver. And it's about 40 minutes to an hour away, which costs around 300 to 400 yuan for the day. And there's an entrance fee to the Three Gorges Dam area, which is 130 yuan. Basically, there's a series of air-conditioned shuttle buses that drive on a predefined route, so you can see the dam, the lock, and the Yangtze River from multiple angles. There's plenty of places to buy souvenirs along the way. There is a reasonable amount of walking involved, so if it's hot, make sure you bring hat and water. And the second lookout involves an additional shuttle, which is 10 yuan, to get back to the bus stop or you can walk 15 to 20 minutes. So basically, it'll take the better part of a day to see all the different lookouts, take photos, see the museum, and unfortunately you can't walk across the dam. It's closed off for security reasons, but there's plenty of different angles you can view the dam from both sides of the river. Besides being the largest hydroelectric dam, Three Gorges Dam also has the longest outdoor escalator. Seeing the grand things they have developed gives me hope that humans can band together to create solutions to seemingly impossible problems. Not to say, of course, that it's without controversy, but if the world planned like the Chinese, then something like a global Hyperloop transport system would actually be a reality. I also regret not learning Chinese, because in Western countries we take for granted that everyone speaks English. Maybe it's laziness. But... I grew up in a school where it was compulsory to study Chinese, so technically I studied it for six years. But at the time I thought, bah, when am I ever going to China or need to speak Chinese? But now that I've visited six times, I can say Chinese definitely is a language I should have spent more time learning. Despite being a seasoned traveller, travelling China is more difficult than other countries. But I was determined to do it without a tour. And a few times I considered quitting because it was just too hard. But I persisted. Because I thought, if Chinese people can travel within China and visit distant attractions, then I could too. And I did, seeing everything I wanted to. The three main tools you'll need to travel China independently are the Trip.com app, which allows you to easily book flights, trains and hotels within China. This app allows you to use foreign credit cards and even refunded me for a downgraded train trip without me asking. The issue with booking domestic flights direct in China is they don't accept foreign credit cards and you must have a local phone number for a security code. I also used the Agoda app to book hotels, which worked well and had cheap prices. I did manage to get a prepaid SIM card, but I had to ask at several shops before one would sell it to me, 
and I kind of felt like I was doing a dodgy under the table deal. However, once connected, I found it handy to have a local SIM card in case of flight changes, which was almost inevitable, happens often, and free Wi-Fi wasn't always usable or reliable. But phone internet worked, which I used mostly for maps, and top-ups were pretty cheap. My iCloud email linked to my phone worked, but Gmail did not, unless you're using a VPN, but China has since outlawed their use. Lastly, a translation app like Speak and Translate that allows you to download language packs for offline use is useful once you're out of big cities because English is not always widely spoken. The Google Translate app, even though Google is banned, it does have an offline feature that uses your camera so you can scan menus and it translates characters in real time so you can at least figure out if you're ordering chicken, beef or liver. Any international chain like Starbucks, McDonald's or Pizza Hut will all have an English menu, but most restaurants had picture menus, so it was never too much of an issue ordering food. I had a China Union prepaid travel card, China Union Pay is equivalent of Visa in China, which I got from the post office, and it's handy to make purchases in shops, but I couldn't use it online, and it didn't always work to get cash out of an ATM. Only certain banks allow foreign cards to be used, like Bank of China, which is not to be confused with People's Bank of China or China Bank. Just look for the Visa or MasterCard logo before you use an ATM. So no matter how difficult something may seem, persistence, a smile and determination will get you there in the end. Beyond the big attractions like the Great Wall lies a huge country which has gone through exponential growth and modernization, And it's fascinating to see firsthand what can be created if political bickering was set aside. So make the most of the cheap flights to China and see what humans are capable of creating because it will give you hope that nothing is too ambitious. Thank you for listening to another episode of Travelosophy. The second part of this podcast is all about Shanghai and Hong Kong Disneyland and it includes interviews with a first-time visitor to Disney along with a Disney fanatic who has been many times and an ex-employee of Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World Florida. So be sure to check it out. In the meantime, you can check out my travel blog at www.jadejackson.com.au. You can tweet me at jadikinsjackson, or you can find my Instagram photos at jadikinsjackson. And if you'd like to support the podcast, head to the support the podcast page on my website. There's some really easy ways you can support the podcast. If you buy books from the book depository or are yet to subscribe to Apple Music, then click on the advertise links on my website. And it won't cost you any extra, but they pay a small commission to me to help keep the podcast going. A big shout out to the person who recently made a purchase on my website from the book depository. I don't see any personal details, but I can see reports that purchases have been made. So thank you to that person. You know who you are. Alternatively, if you absolutely love what you hear and want even more of it, including exclusive content, then head to my Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com forward slash Jade Jackson, where you can join the Travelosophy community and have access to personal and exclusive content like additional podcast episodes, ad-free blog posts, and MP3 recordings of my poetry. Thanks again for listening to Travelosophy with Jade Jackson. 再见。